In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ansons Podcast. I'm Blaine. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you today from separate locations. Through the miracle of technology. For reasons that will become evident as we move on. And the genesis of this podcast, as you know, and Sons does not respond to current events because the masculine journey is immortal. It does not change. Also, we're not Relevant Magazine, and we want these episodes to be evergreen. You can pick them up at any time, and you're not like, wow, they're really fixated on the 2016 elections. Exactly. But sometimes there are underlying realities that are revealed by current events that we do want to talk about because they relate to the maturity of a young man's soul. Which is sort of now driving to the point of why you're not here, right? Can we get to talk about that? Yes. Well, today's podcast is, what does a mature man do in a crisis? And there's never been a better moment to record because we are in the middle of our first pandemic since I graduated high school, which was some time ago now. And we are in separate places because I am sick at a time when being sick in a public space, makes people want to kill you for the good of the species. It's true. It's kind of surprising, this instinct that's risen up to just cull the herd a little bit. Scary, too. A friend of mine got a new car recently at the beginning of the week, and he came over to show it to me. And it's at a time of such high social anxiety that he gets out of the car, and it's kind of windy and dusty, and he coughs into his sleeve, and then kind of gets this grin and looks up and goes, yeah, I know, Corona. <laughs> Yeah, the sound of a cough has never so effectively triggered existential fear for a while now. Right. I mean, this one is seated in time just by the nature of our references to the corona pandemic, flight shutdown, and all of that. But the topic of crisis and how we respond to it actually is a spectrum because crisis is everything from your car breaking on the vacation that you've been trying to plan and pull off without anything going wrong to something like a, a global health crisis. Global health crisis to the candidate of the other party winning an election, to your aging parents getting sick, to mm. maybe you are an older listener and you have a grown child who is having a crisis of faith. Like right now we have a public health crisis but its dimensions apply to all forms of crisis, so we can sort of zoom out. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, is that the crisis, crisis, the crises, the crises, the the forms that crisis takes that we just named, apply to everyone, probably 
every week, if not every day. Yes. And sort of the starting point of this conversation is that crisis happens and our worldview is meant to have a holding place for crisis. And one of the things that triggers panic is the absence of a holding place for a crisis, right? My wife and I were riffing on this last night and just noticing people panic in the unexpected, not the expected. Like when you go, I'm going on this bike ride and I may crash because it's this downhill section that I've been trying and I've crashed before. And then you crash and you don't panic because you expected to. Your worldview has a holding place for the incident. Right. It's not like the gospel has no holding place for crisis. Yeah, I even think back to that line Tim Thornton said that we pulled for our intro for a long time. Nothing good happens without crisis. It's like the opposite stance, the opposite implications, the opposite expectations would be like, no, crisis is happening all the time. And it can actually be the catalyst for our growth and our reorientation rather than everything going well and truly off the rails. Yes. And the normalcy, to use a 20th century political term, of crisis is kind of the first key. There are always spiritual dimensions to crisis. There is usually some spiritual form of dread or fear associated with election seasons, certainly pandemics, or hurricanes approaching the coast. Don't freak out. Fear is not your friend. So you will probably have to pray against fear. And if everyone around you and in your region or your community is making massive agreements with fear, it's going to be hard to get off. I know it is for me. So you'll just have to start there with like, oh, hey, quick point on crisis. Crisis has a spiritual dimension. Fear is not your friend. Make sure you pray against it. Okay, next major thing that does not work in navigating a crisis is any form of negation. Like any form of hiding under the blanket, putting your fingers in your ears, or any attempt to annul the crisis by redefinition and go, well, maybe, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. <laughs> uh, which sort of happens all the time and doesn't work. I'm, I'm so aware of like the, oh, you know, it's going to blow over. It's the head in the sand, like the ostrich technique. Yes, because the problem with the head in the sand is you miss the opportunity to get to the root of the issue. Right. Yep. And I think our little asterisk here is, of course, there are times to talk your friend down off a ledge and go, it's really not that bad. Right, but this is trying to what sweep the whole thing under the rug to not then deal with why you were on the ledge. Yes. I'm aware that crisis is actually very helpful for m most people because it is a time when the verdicts on who you are or on how your life is going or on who God is actually become very clear. Those things that have been probably lurking beneath the surface and not very clear all of a sudden come raging to the forefront of, yeah, this is how you handle things, or you're, you're always going to mess it up, or God really isn't there for you, or bup, 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 Yes. Bup. Oh, like during a crisis, look how people obsessively go to information instead of God. 
If it's a family crisis, there is an obsessive checking for updates. If it's a global crisis, there is an obsessive following the news. And it was actually my wife who pointed out to me, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is right there, and we choose the tree of knowledge. There is an attempt to take control, go for information instead of looking for life. There is a pull to go, I am only okay if this resolves, if this is not as bad as it looks. And that is not where the gospel starts. Mm. For example, the story that comes to mind is right before the Babylonian exile. Jeremiah 28. Mm, Classic one. Here's what happens. Babylon has been gone for five, six hundred years. The Assyrian Empire has dominated the world. God promises, actually, that he's going to raise up Babylon again to tear down the Assyrian Empire, which happens. And then Israel notices Babylon is back, and this is not good news. And there's this scene inside the palace where there's a prophet named Hananiah, and he goes, you know, arms in the air, this is what the Lord says. It's not that bad. I will break the yoke of Babylon, and I will give you back all the treasure they have taken from you. And Jeremiah's response is awesome because he goes, I hope that is true. Mm -hmm. Yes. What person is not commanded to pray for the best case scenario? And as he's leaving, the Spirit of God confronts him and goes, go back in and say, they're wrong. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And he goes back in and goes, God says, I will take your yoke of wood and replace it with a yoke of iron. This is going to get much worse before it gets better. And the point here is that even when that happens, Jeremiah goes on to go, nonetheless, God will be faithful to you. Nonetheless, he'll save you out of captivity. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's so good. What we're after is like that settled stability that you see in some people when hard times hit and you go like, wow, there's, there's an abundance of you. You are rooted so firmly that true, genuine, horrific chaos hits and you are fine. And part of what allows someone to have that capacity and that capability is an appropriate understanding of God and be rooted in the right time frame. I remember a family member was having some health crisis and it did not look good. And the people in their church prayed for this person and they heard this person and their spouse that they were going to have many more years together. And you're like, well, yes, like how wonderful and, and what goodness to be praying for. And yet I immediately had this thing in me of like, did you ask where, like when, how? Yeah, we have eternity together. And therefore I actually didn't receive the same level of, oh, God's going to like cure this person and then everything's going to be fine. Because at the end of the day, even if he did, death is still going to come at the end. Like you're still moving towards eternity. And so when this person, it didn't go well, they didn't receive healing on this side. And yet for me, I feel like those words were still accurate for them. They will have many more years together. They have eternity together. And so it wasn't this massive faith rock for me of like, well, those are really beautiful words and things to be hearing and may have been very accurate, but are you focused on, on eternity? Or are you focused on right now? And if things get worse, are you going to be okay? Yes, it is huge. In a nutshell, it's 
You are not okay because it's not as bad as it looks. You are okay because God's heart and nature together save everything you love. I'm sorry, you are eventually going to lose everything. Dad wrote about this in All Things New where he went, we have to be honest and come to grips with the fact that if you are a great athlete, you will grow old. If you are a great mathematician, your cognitive capacities decline over time. If you love your family, they may precede you into eternity. The only question is, does God's heart actually save everything? It's really weighty. I know it's weighty. I know it, it sounds dismissible, like it's easy to say, but having lived through some genuine trauma and chaos, being able to speak out of places of like, no, if God takes one more thing, if, I, if entropy continues in one more way, I'm going to crack. It was a horrible feeling. Like I know that in the midst of it, it is really hard to hold on to eternity, but there well and truly is no other hope. Like I don't understand how you can root your hope now because it is so fragile. How is your heart responding to that? Like that God is pursuing and not all is lost and therefore you can be rooted and stable and have eyes and hopes for eternity. Does that make you feel like things are slipping through your fingers and make you feel angry and make you feel more fragile? Yeah, this is the difference between what are you hoping for and what are you hoping in is one way of putting it. Remember when Craig got sick, we prayed fervently for his supernatural healing. We hoped for him to get well. And yet we knew that his destiny lay in Jesus. We hoped in the power of God. It gets very personal. And this is not always easy right off the bat. Like when we started to think we might lose our unborn baby girl, I fasted and prayed and other people fasted Mm -hmm. and prayed and it was brutal. And yet we had to come to the reality of this is not ultimately about her being born into this earth. This is ultimately about whether anything we love is preserved. This lies on the power of God to save Another way of putting it is, if you tell a difficult story and then go, but what about Jesus? You're starting too late. (laughs) Just rewind. Rewind to where you are. A good God created a universe on purpose and with pleasure for something wonderful. And even when we ruined it and made it as bad as it could possibly be, he sent his son to carry everything so that even if you lose everything, Jesus brings it back, holds things together. It's so good. As I'm thinking about this, the faces in front of me are actually older faces. It feels like a lesson that is learned in time inevitably. Like we can sort of refuse to learn this lesson now, but time and loss will still happen. And I'm thinking of the older faces in my world and going, one of two things happens, either the cumulative loss and grief and trauma and chaos truly take their toll and the person feels more fragile and wispy or the alternative happens where those lessons get learned and there's this 
groundedness and there's a kindness that they walk in towards the young. I can see very specific faces of people who have experienced a lot of loss over years and they have this like, it's going to be okay about them that is forced upon us through time. But the general lesson can be learned at any point or not learned. I want to be the kind of face that has learned. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so huge because right now I check in and I hear a news report about a pandemic sweeping the world. And you better believe I feel the world's fear and my own fear and the anxiety of well, what yeah, will happen. Yeah, you were texting me the other day about prepping and living off the land and trying to make it into the woods out of mostly humor, but also a little bit of seriousness. And there's a dark underlying current there. Let's bury some gasoline in the woods. Yeah. Well, we're a very apocalypse-focused culture these days. Yes. And so what do I do to return to God's nature to settle my heart down? Because I kind of have two options. I can go, well, let's talk about how it's not that bad, which might be helpful. But ultimately, I'm going to go, tell me about what God is like, who I trust, which is why worship helps. Prayer helps. Mm -hmm. Beauty helps. Last night, Em and I were on the couch and we just were writing on a notepad the ways that God has come through for us and just riffing on this is what God is like. Mm. Yeah, super good. Part of what I've been doing is reading through Psalms and I'm just so struck by the cyclical nature of them. It's essentially the same story over and over again. And it's, God, you're amazing. Thank you so much. I worship you. Holy cow, holy cow. And then it's, oh my gosh, I'm being crushed by my enemies. Why have you forsaken me? I'm all alone. I'm being overtaken. My bones are being crushed. Everyone is mocking me. And then it goes back to, you have rescued me before and I will choose to worship. I find myself like, even though they're the same themes, I keep underlining different parts of different Psalms as I go through them because I'm helpfully reminded over and over again of like, they're these little mini crises that were massive, like sometimes being overtaken by enemies or hunted or mocked or any number of countless things that most of us don't experience. And to get to watch as David then goes back to like, God, this is who you are and this is who I am. And even if you don't, I know you've done it before and that's what's true of you. It's like, oh, oh, wow. It's it's very heartening because it makes it makes the moment that we're in that is a bit of that panic reaction not wrong there's not like there's not shame in it you're not you're not the odd one out or somehow doing it the wrong way because you're feeling those things but it also is an invitation to not stay there to be like oh there's there's another there's a way forward and out where i get to become the kind of person who handles crisis well yes when you are in crisis if you're me it can be really hard to remember the times that god came through or I kind of explain them away. Let's say a bunch of unexpected bills come in. Someone can come to me and remind me of all the other times of God's provision. (laughs) You're like, yeah, but what about now? It doesn't always help. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, sure. Well, that was then. That was helpful to pass Blaine. What about present Blaine? You know, thinking about Joseph, you know, where God turns a betrayal into the salvation of a people and you can read it in one dimension and go, look, God changed that and saved this family and go, yes, he did. And by saving that family, 
he saved the entire world because that was the messianic line. So, and it was kind a, of the, wait, 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 back to Joseph. It was a fairly smooth ride, right? You know, he was, uh, oh yeah, sold into slavery. It was horrible. It was, he was a slave. It was years in prison. prison. And, and then even after like he ends up saving the tribes, you fast forward and they're all slaves again. You're like, hey guys, I saved I you. Um, it's kind of a, it's a win and a lose, let's just say, but I'm going to pull you out again. Not to mention, it's a famine that devastates Mesopotamia. This is not good news in like the don't worry sense. This is good news in like the look how God saved everything by saving these people, which eventually meant Jesus came, which meant you really can trust him. Like these stories are about the trustworthiness of God in devastating circumstances. Mm -hmm. So all of that is crisis 101, which is that your security is in God's nature. There's nothing else to be confident in. And there is a practice there of going, wow, when you feel anxiety enter your body and start looking for a circumstantial way out, you can practice turning your heart and whatever turns your heart towards God, whether that's worship or prayer or a bike ride or a conversation with a wise friend, like something that reminds you what God is like that goes, oh, I am in the most fundamental way imaginable safe. Yep. Even if nothing in my world is safe. Right. It's the part that I love. Like it's the, but if not, you are unimaginably safe because even if everything does go wrong and you are not saved from your current crisis, this is not the last chapter of the story. And God's nature hasn't changed and your role in his story hasn't changed. Easy to say, hard to live, but very hopeful. Yes. Oh, just one more. I heard a talk one time on reading the Bible and the importance of in applying the stories, know who you are in the story. And it went, yeah, if you have cancer, you can go, you know, I'm David and cancer is Goliath and I can throw it down and go, yes, that may be true. You probably are David. And you are a microcosm, a little display of the big thing, which is that Jesus is David. Death is Goliath. And he takes it down. And so, you know, even if you lose the ultimate battle with mortality, the battle of your eternity has been won. It really does rest mm -hmm. on Jesus. All right. So, Crisis 201 is a little turn in the podcast because we are getting questions, and we do get questions regularly from guys kind of across forms of crisis, whether it's the public health one right now, or a family blowing up, or even a car breaking down. And there's a kind of, what are the golden principles that sort of direct you in a crisis? And the first one is kind of like, in the last issue of Ansons, we ran an article from a guy, Josh Skaggs, who travels internationally, writes, and he had an experience in Ukraine where Russia invaded. There was a gnarly, devastating war. And what this church did, instead of only escaping, 
was walk with God right. and evacuate thousands of people. Like 10,000. <laughs> yes, like 10,000 people by loading up the church van and asking the Holy Spirit, which way now? And the point is this reminder of whatever the crisis is, the resolution of the crisis is goal number two. The revelation of Jesus and walking with God is goal number one. But because you are who you are, you also want to give people some practicals on goal number two, right? (laughs) I do. I want to give practicals as an illustration of this concept of when it comes to living the life of maturity, there are questions that people ask like, what are the things that you need on hand for a financial emergency? What should you have in your backpacking med kit, right? There's this kind of whole, the man who can handle it, what is he like? And I go, wow. I mean, the hard thing is, is that we'd like to be on the far side of preparation, ready to handle everything. Mm -hmm. And we aren't. I honestly don't know what all the best tools to carry in a car are. I have a few more than I used to. I want to be the guy who is totally ready for an emergency. And yet, area to area, I'm sort of not. So there's kind of the question here in responding to crisis of, how do you become someone who is ready for emergency? Okay, so I was reading this book, The Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. Yeah. If you remember it. Dave Eggers, right? Dave Eggers, yes. And he talks about this moment where he's fantasizing. He's driving down the Pacific Coast Highway in a convertible with his brother. And he imagines that there's this oncoming traffic accident, but he has to swerve off and then go right off the cliffside. But of course, they time their jump perfectly out the convertible roof to be unharmed and swim to the surface and kind of joke and laugh about how crazy that was to each other. I read that. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've done this so many times where I've imagined the crisis that it might be a car accident or a massive fire or even a health epidemic. And I've gone, somehow I will have the ability to respond perfectly to this where I go through unscathed, having no skills or forethought whatsoever. Ah. It was a very, like, much of a reality check. Yes, I do that all the time. And here you go, guys. The single most important thing you offer is knowledge of what God is like. And somebody's bike breaks down and you go, yeah, I don't know how to fix that exactly. But I do know that we have a good father who comes through for us. And that's going to shape the way I interact. Like more than any problem solving principle, more than any set of heuristics, what you bring is knowledge of God's reliable heart that shapes the way you interact. Yeah, it's so good. You don't want to be the neighbor who only can lend a power tool. Though that is cool. Like you want to be the man who speaks to the heart uh, and is able to Hmm. address the real thing, which is, can God get me through this? Is he a Hmm. father who comes through? Hmm. As you and I have riffed on this sort of over years and distilling the Anson's ethos, it's really interesting when we go responding to a crisis, becoming someone who can handle a crisis, uh, the two things that are key are sort of these postures of being a son, number one, and being a steward, number two. And Mm. 
Right? The first one, you live out of your relationship with the Father. Easier said than done, but it is the core of the whole thing. Right. But it carries some significant weight to it. I've talked before about how things that are intimidating to me, the example of public speaking or a phone call, I will ask for an image of Jesus or like, okay, if I'm really walking as a son, that means I have confidence and authority and access to all the resources. Therefore, give me an image, Holy Spirit, of of something that's going to help ground me. And you know, sometimes gotten goofy images and sometimes gotten really like powerful ones of like a signet ring. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. If I'm a son who's got that kind of authority, I would walk very differently. Oh, yeah. And they can be super helpful. Man, I just think of past emergencies and I'm like, because I am a wilderness first responder once upon a time, now long since outdated, but I have run up to car accidents that just happened in a way that's consistent with first responder training, but just going, Father, I know you will father me. I don't actually know what to do. I just probably know more than that guy right there. But the ultimate thing that I'm relying on is you are a father. And this applies from everything to stepping into a conversation with a friend to approaching a broken car. I just go, I know you'll father me. Show me the way through. It even applies to a global health crisis where there's lots of information, very little of it helpful. And you just go, father, show me the way through. Mm -hmm. The other thing that is increasingly helpful for me in the region of crisis is the concept of a steward going, oh, for the maturation of my soul, you have put certain things under me, God. And when you are early in your 20s, it's probably just you and a few possessions. And let me tell you, when I was 21, 22, that's all I could handle, if that. If that, right? I mean, I had I was responsible for a car, but it was not good stewarding. Right? I was responsible for one person's time. My time couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Over time, that changes. But the interesting thing of the steward is it really gives you a key critical distance from the problem, which is like money. Let me tell you, my long journey, my year after year journey with what do I do about this thing, money, mm-hmm. in the past year has taken a really wonderful turn. I hope it stays this way for a while where I suddenly had the revelation. I didn't grasp the concept. Something in my body shifted where I went, none of this is mine. All of this is God's. Mm. So, oh, I'm just stewarding some of God's resources. And what it let me do is go, there aren't that many important things, right? Where it's like, Save a portion of your income, give a portion away, have an emergency fund, and spend the rest according to God's calling on your life. Right. And it just let me go, God, here are these resources. I've done a little reading, and I'm looking at the best practices. Which of these do you want me to do in view of my calling? And it applies everywhere where it's like, I have a family now. I have a wife and a daughter and one more on the way. Jesus, the best practices for a household seem to be to be ready for a three-day grid disruption, to sort of have one gallon of water per person per day for three days, one cup of lentils per person per day for three days, and some matches. Hmm. And I'll do that because that's a best principle, but do you want me to? And right now, we know because we're in the middle of a crisis, there's information flying around on what the quote-unquote best principles are. 
But in the life of a steward, you really do get to look at them and pray through, what would you like me to do, God, with the things that are under my authority? Yeah, and it's making me reflect back on like the conversation we had a year ago plus of the acknowledging the circles that you actually can influence. This is like almost the circles of your responsibility because this only increases so far as I've noticed as you become a husband, as you become a father, and then as you become a grandfather, like you feel responsible for basically everything going down your pyramid. And that might actually not be completely accurate. Like parts of your pyramid might be responsible for themselves. And so having a good idea of what you are meant to take care of could at first get a massive burden off your shoulders. Like You may not actually be responsible for the entire city of Seattle. That would be a lot for you to carry if you felt like that. But if it is what you're responsible for, it's going to be good to be moving with what God is inviting you into rather than trying to lift that all by yourself. Yes, and the other key point here is there is tons of shame that goes around the life of a steward in a crisis. How many times have I walked away from a crisis just feeling like crap going, I should have known what to do and I didn't. Like Mm. I got a new road bike. I took it out for a victory ride up a mountain. I flatted and I didn't have my change kit. Mm -hmm. I did have one. It was on my other bike. I hadn't remembered to move it over. And thank you, God, a guy stopped who had just ridden the peak because it was a big riding day and he had a thing. But he kind of made this wry aside that was like, so you didn't have your tools with you? And Mm -hmm. it just went this kind of the man is ready and go, we are in process. And there is not shame in the way of the student. You know, there are beautiful preppers out there who go, you weren't ready for a full-on civil war. You didn't have a old school bus covered with 14-gauge steel. You you were ready to protect you and yours. And when, I didn't know where to park it. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's probably not something you're expected to be able to steward yet. But let's go back to the life of the steward works together with your life as a son and goes, teach me, father, how to care for the things under me. Well, yeah, that and like life is complex enough that you are going to hit a place eventually, sooner rather than later, where the crisis is one that you feel like you are out of your depth. Most crisis moments feel like that to me. And it's like, oh, okay, my wife needs some strong interaction to contend for her. Like, I've done this before, but it's happening again, and that question is being asked again. Can you handle this? And then it's like, ah, man, yes, no, I think so. But like, not today. Today, do I get a pass? Why do I fail this today? Or like any list of infinite things, that question is going to roll in. And if the verdict is no, and I have failed because the answer is no, then we've missed the point. If the answer is no, I can't handle it. And I'm learning to have God father me in that, then it's like, woohoo, he just won the lottery. Like that is actually the best takeaway. Yes. Returning to the Ukraine, there's the question of what do you want to do in this crisis? And it's like, do you want to get through? Do you want everything to just be okay? Or do you want something of God to be revealed? Like you already have the very best thing to offer the world which is knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of your future, knowledge of his heart. That is key. 
you know, we've done this crisis to crisis when it comes to here's a family crisis, here's a friend whose car broke down, whatever it is, kind of ask the question, or we've actually had Jesus ask us, what do you want to do? And us kind of come back with, well, I want to hold you up and I want to demonstrate what it looks like to live a life with you and extend to people that they're not alone. Like I want to come through and it really shifts from, I am on the receiving end of terrifying world forces to like, actually you're carrying something of the kingdom. You're a son of God who has what the world needs. And when it comes to the logistical details of, you know, what you'll need to do in order to get that message out, you can ask God. The church in the Ukraine did not have a complex guerrilla evacuation strategy. They developed it in real time with God. And you really can do that in a crisis. For example, let's say, to pick an example at random, you were about to be quarantined for two weeks. Mm. You know? Yeah, very random. I read this in a book, got Mm -hmm. this out of thin air. Very hypothetical. What do you do with your heart? If that grips you with inescapable fear, you know that what you're looking for is for circumstances to be different. Going out and buying 30 pounds of rice won't solve your problem. You need Mm. an experience of God's heart. Okay, so start with God's heart. Your destiny is secure. Then go into what do you want to offer? What I would want to hold up is joy. My wife, it was so funny. She didn't go, let's make sure we have a stock of gunpowder and chicken broth. She went, do you I would, have a bunch of muskets too? I would, exactly. Bear traps. Mm. She goes, I would want to make sure that we had enough sidewalk chalk. <laughs> uh huh. Because you got a three year old. Right. Well, you just see this slight reframe to what is it when it's not born out of terror, but out of sure. some form of security, preserving joy as a value. I'm also aware that there's the nuance of partnering with what God is inviting you to do because there might be folks listening that are in cities that are locked down and what they feel like God is asking them to do is to be a safe place for others. And in that case, going out and getting the bags of rice is probably what they need to do because they're going to be being a host or a hostess for a little while. And a bunch more chalk wouldn't do them any service, but that's part of like the joy of you are responsible for different things and yes. you were meant to walk and hear what you were up to. But the general, the general, like, are you aware of how much fear is motivating your choices in any season, regardless of a season of crisis, is a very helpful question to ask and go, ooh, do not want to be mostly motivated by fear. Here it is again. The banner statement over this conversation is that the answer to the human heart's fear and crisis is not circumstances being better than they seem. It is God's nature in which you really are rescued, your future really is secure, and you really do have final hope.